This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is... The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to Hour 3 in the Freedom Hut today. Thank you so much for being here with me. Fantastic, as always, to have you at my side. 888-900-3393. What do you think about the... uh, I was going to say about the Burning Man protest. Apologies. That's gotten stuck in my head, that Heathrow article, about the Standing Rock protests. What do you think about that? Um, I'm very curious to see, uh, you know, or very curious to hear, I should say, what your perceptions of this may be. Uh, To me, it's just so obvious. I mean, they're sort of exploiting uh, historical grievance of the Native American community to give them a moral legitimacy that they need as a cover for the otherwise sort of nonsensical demands that are being made here. As as Jim pointed out, you got over 220 pipelines already under the Missouri River. And I was reading a, a report from a couple of months ago. I think it was in The Guardian, a British newspaper. Oh, hello, it's The Guardian. So we'll just, because we all sound like this in the newsroom, we must be smarter than you Yanks. Uh, the, no offense to my peeps, Charles and Tom, obviously, from National View, who are amazing. Uh, their, their accents are awesome. They know that. But the notion of sacred land and sacred water, if anybody else you know, was, was asserting that that they couldn't uh, that a project a project on private land could not go forward because of sacred land and sacred water. I think the media would find that to be a point of mockery. But when it comes to Native Americans, no, no. Then uh, animism or you know re- religious belief that cr- creates the perception of of a sacredness of inanimate objects, uh, including land and rivers and trees and such. Uh, they they have a reverence for it all of a sudden. Now, now they have a reverence for religious belief. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, but I, I just I do want to know. I want someone to explain to me how alternate the alternate route is supposed to be. It's over eleven hundred and seventy miles. They're at the last few miles. They're they're going to do what? They're going to do like a giant you know sort of elongated U turn. What what are they going to do? This also reminds me as a total side note of the show uh, Hell on Wheels, which I think is a very entertaining show. Uh, drags in some parts, and you know it's not perfect, but it's overall pretty good. The guy who's the lead character is very good actor, charismatic in the role. 
So I would r- recommend that to you. And there's some analog. There's some rough history in there. I mean, it's not obviously it's a TV show. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fictional stuff going on. But uh, Bannon, who is uh, is it? I think the guy's name is Bannon. Or am I, do I just have Steve Bannon on the brain? I think the guy's name is uh, oh, anyway. Who's like the railroad baron who tries to get it done? Might not be Bannon. Uh, good show. Just giving you that as a as an unsolicited recommendation for a uh, Netflix show if you want to check something out. Okay. Uh, people are upset. <laughs> I could start a lot of segments that way. People are upset because they are. They're really upset uh, because Ben Carson. You know, there's a lot of Trump transition team talk. Uh, it's dominating much of the news cycle. It, it must be weird for Obama to be so secondary to uh, to somebody else in, in terms of the way that they're covered by the news media when it comes to government. I mean, you know, Obama's agenda and Obama stuff right now. I, mean, I know, look, he's on the way out and we all get that. But the Trump transition team is just eating up so much of the headlines. And the secretary of state race, which I want to talk to you about for a couple of minutes, is, is somewhat interesting to me. Although all this stuff is very uh, – it kind of reminds me of that show um, – what's the – John, do you know the name of the show, the HBO show where they're picking the uh, players for the NFL? I mean, you know, it's like the behind the scenes. Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks. And a show about NFL training camp for – they follow one team and they bring in these guys. And it's fascinating to watch because they have all these coaches and there's – you know, NFL is obviously a multi-multi-billion dollar business and these teams – there's hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue coming in. And, uh, they're sitting there watching all this tape, and they're trying to decide, not at the top level. They know who their best players are, and they're already signed to long contracts and such. But people that are just barely going to make the team, and they're analyzing it. And one thing that you pick up is that you know they don't really know. You know? And if you've seen Moneyball, there's, this is kind of one of the concepts that comes up. Uh, with they talk about you know the guy like, I think there's one co- in Moneyball the, the movie with Brad Pitt uh, about the Oakland A's and how they put together this team and anyway uh, he says you know one of the scouts says I don't like that guy he's got an ugly girlfriend no confidence <laughs> and obviously that's I think I would hope an exaggeration of how uh, feckless the scouts are but maybe not um, but you also see with this show I mean it's a razor thin margin separating some of these uh, NFL talents from making the team. And making, I don't know, whatever the league minimum is. I think it's like four or $500,000 a year. It might even be more than that in the NFL. John, do you know what the league minimum in the NFL is? Uh, it's a lot of money. It's a lot more money than, than not playing in the NFL and just like hanging out. That much is for sure. And it's, it's a very small margin that determines the difference. And you, the truth is that some people rise to the occasion. You know, they, they just they can't really know. And at a certain level of uh, resume and a... 450? Yeah, four, that's what I thought. $450,000 league minimum in the NFL. And I'm just bringing this up because, you know, they parse those picks and they really get into the details. And, of course, there's a certain confidence that these coaches have with, oh, you know, that guy, he's really, you know, he's really stepped it up in camp. And he's really, and, you know, they don't know. Could totally flame out in the season, have it, you know, people get injured, people just don't play up to their potential. There's a lot of educated guesswork involved in that. And when you're talking about some of these. I know football is more exciting than cabinet picks for a lot of people. Sure. Uh, I actually like football, but never played it, but I enjoy watching it. had to learn about it by playing, uh, uh, what do you call it? What's the video game system, John? PlayStation. That's how I learned, that's how I learned football from PlayStation. Uh, probably shouldn't have admitted that, but I just did. These cabinet picks, the sense that you get from the media coverage is that this is, like is going to be the difference between... Uh, 
enormous success for the department or, you know, these are momentous picks. And, and for the most part, not really, you know, not really the case. And it just turns into yet another battleground for other ideas to influence and infiltrate the discussion. I and mean, a perfect example of this is with, with Ben Carson, he's going to be uh, the sec- or is nominated for secretary. He has to, of course, get uh, confirmed by the Senate, uh, nominated by um, Donald Trump to be housing and urban development secretary. And people are saying, oh, he's not qualified. He's no government experience. And it's like, are we really going to get all 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 fussy and, and, and agitated over Trump's HUD pick? First of all, HUD to conservatives, I think you can make it. It didn't even exist, I believe, until Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society program. So it's a relatively new department in the first place. And now it's largely, well, I shouldn't say largely, but one of its missions seems to be a sort of uh, social justice and like redistribution of wealth through housing. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what, uh, what what you get with a Dr. Ben Carson as housing and urban. I did think a, a Surgeon General was probably a more likely pick for him, but he's going to be HUD secretary. Uh, but the left is, is freaked out about even this. You know, even, even this is more evidence of how Trump is going to destroy the planet. You know, because good heavens, Ben Carson's going to be HUD secretary. It's like who cares? You realize who's going to be up late at night because Ben Carson's going to be HUD secretary? This is really freaking people out. Uh, who can even name? I mean, this would be a fantastic uh, you know guessing game. All, all these individuals who write for all these for various publications about this. Uh, and, and there's more of this on the inter- you know, because of the internet and, and the way that it's all a race to post the fastest stuff and the most clickable, shareable stuff y- you can. So people are writing on things where they have not even the slightest bit of background all the time. Little little tip from uh, from what goes on in website writing world, having uh, spent some time around that world and understanding how the stuff actually goes. I mean, you know, who can even who? How many Americans think can even tell you that uh, Julian Castro has been HUD secretary for? Uh, the last four years. I'm sorry. Yeah, last three, four years, whatever it is. Um, and who could name any HUD secretaries really before that? Julian Castro. Before that, it was Sean Donovan. Yeah, that guy. He really, sh- he really shook the foundations of this country with his HUD stuff. Brian Montgomery, Steve Preston, Roy Bernardi, Alfonso Jack. I, I know you're, you're, you're bored too, right? You're like, oh, HUD secretary. Great. Who cares? But even on this, they just can't help themselves. They just get upset about it. Um, and I, I think what they're really upset about, though, isn't so much that Ben Carson is going to be in this cabinet position. It's that bringing it up rubs salt in the wound of, oh, you mean they can't use housing and urban development as a massive federal department, largely for the purposes of social engineering and social justice and, and redistributive justice? Because they know Ben Carson is not going to play that game. So I think that's where the some of the angst comes from and some of the uh, agitation over what otherwise. I mean, really? HUD? We're, we're going to get our, uh, you know, we're going to get our socks in a twist or I don't know, whatever. What, I was going to say something else, but I'm trying to think of polite ways to say it. We're going to get a bee in our bonnet. I don't know if any of you, I don't think any of us wear bonnets anymore. So that doesn't make sense either. Over HUD secretary, though, that seems like a bit a bit too much to me. The one that's a more interesting, if we're going to do this sort of horse race cabinet pick thing, which I guess I'm now walking into backwards, uh, is the Secretary of State race. And right now it's supposed to be a sort of combination of or a, a competition between Giuliani and Romney and perhaps General Petraeus. 
which I got to say, um, you know, to put when you're somebody who's really violated the classified protocol openly, no question, did it willingly, knowingly, multiple times, lied to the FBI, was never punished for lying to the FBI as part of the plea deal. Uh, when you're somebody who's done all that, it, it sort of would be like putting somebody in the head of the SEC who was guilty of, granted, minor, but like a, a minor insider trading infraction or something, you know, or, or it had to pay a fine for, you know, defrauding investors or something like that. And then putting, you really, I don't think, you really can't do that. And I mean, you can, obviously, but I think that's a, a very weak move. Um, Mitt Romney, it's interesting to see the way that, it makes it seem like, and look, Trump is is playing the optics on this very well by bringing Mitt Romney into the into the mix. It look makes it seem at least like he's interested in reconciliation and bringing the Republican Party together. But he can still keep his base happy if he doesn't eventually bring Mitt in to the uh, to the mix. And you know, Giuliani as Secretary of State, I, I don't know. Giuliani's never really struck me as a as a particularly. I I, I agree with him on a, on a lot of stuff, not on everything, and I try not to let the some of his personal life uh, missteps influence my thinking about him as a person who would hold a very prominent public office. But he's never struck me as an overly complicated or strategic thinker. I will say that did do a good job in New York City, but running New York City as a mayor and and honestly. All you had to do in New York was start from the proposition of we're going to enforce the law and back the police and enlarge the police department. And yeah, and, and you do that and all of a sudden things start to change. He gets credit for it, but it's not the same as, yeah, he's not he's not constructing the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, if you know what I mean. You, you history nerds don't. You, you know what's up. High five. So I, I have to say, I, I don't know. I heard John Bolton, by the way, uh, from... Is it John Bolton? Yeah, right? Ambassador. I know it's Ambassador Bolton. I think it's John Bolton, uh, who's also often on Fox. I think I even maybe did Red Eye with him once, or am I imagining that? I know he does do Red Eye sometimes. I feel like I might have been on set with him once for Red Eye. Uh, but he, although I could be making that up, so don't quote me on that. He could be Deputy uh, Secretary of State or maybe Deputy National Security Advisor. He's up for those roles. Once again, TV pundits rule the world. Everybody, this is what we're learning. We got a TV. We got essentially a, a TV talking head as president. We're going to have a couple of TV talking heads in cabinet positions. It's pretty amazing when you when you see it play out. Um, but yeah, the the Secretary of State race to me is is an interesting one. And the the best one, which I'll talk about on the other side of the break, is of course General Mattis. There's a fascinating profile on him that was done over the weekend or a few days ago, with just some anecdotes about who this guy is and why he is really revered within the military ranks. And it's the kind of stories that uh, would create that sort of um, bond between somebody who's at the very top of the military hierarchy and, and the rest of uh, military all the way down to the, you know, youngest enlisted guys. All right. Uh, 888-900-3393. We'll talk maybe some Mattis, some pipeline, and then some stock market. We've got a lot we're covering today. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Got a call coming in here from Alan in North Dakota. Wants to talk about the pipeline. What's up, Alan? Alan? Uh, John, can I not hear him, or can nobody hear him? Oh, here I am. There we go. There we go. Here he is. What's up, Alan? Hey, I just wanted to kind of add to what that last gentleman that you were interviewing um, had to say. But, it, you know, this is uh, most of the people down on Standing Rock really are not for this whole protest. It's um, their tribal chairman and a few other people who, I don't know what got them started. Well, I, I know what got them started, but... And it's basically hinges on money, but most of the people down there. No, tell, but wait, tell, tell us about that for a second. What do you mean money? How so? The, the, the tribes wanted a payoff? Well, yes. Um, so based, back in 2012, when they were going through the permitting process, they wanted to go through there because it was a straight route to get down through South Dakota, Iowa, and Illinois. Yeah. And they said, no, you. not only are you not going to go through our um our nation, you're going to follow, you're not going to go through the treaty of uh, the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1871. So, which basically that is, is that follows the Missouri River all the way from Montana all the way through South Dakota. So, I mean, they would have, if, if that's what they're talking about, and if that's what the Corps is thinking that they're going to have to do, then they're going to have to start at point A again. From where they started. And well, this is my this is this is my question about an alternate route. I mean, they're basically done. How could it be an alternate route? Well, that's the only alternate route. If they're going, if if what the Obama administration's um, going to side with the tribe on what they want and say they need an alternate route, that's the alternate route they're looking for to basically go back to the Fort Laramie Treaty boundary. <laughs> so what you're saying, they don't want an alternate route. They want they want an alternate pipeline. <laughs> Basically, that's what it would come down to, yeah. And so what's everything the, that's up from from here to the Missouri River from Williston, that's all. You know, that would all be for naught. Now, obviously, politics are what they are. When with Trump coming in, I don't know how that's going to, you know, what he'll do. But what what do most North Dakotans think of this protest? If I may ask, I mean, in your experience, people you know up there, are, are, do they? They see some merit to it. They think this is a shakedown, and it's you know social justice warriors wanting to have a big drum circle and latch on to sort of Native American grievances. Uh, I think it's a shakedown. You know, I've I've done a lot of work on both reservations. The one, well, we have more than two, but on the Fort Fort Berthold Reservation, which is north of us and right in the center of the 
the Bakken play. You know, I have a number of friends up there who are native, and, you know, they all they say is they're just jealous because they don't have the oil money, and the people up there do. And so that's one of the big things that... So there's a lot of layers uh, here. I mean, it's it's not just the sort of historical grievances and the virtue signaling and the social justice warriors. There's also people with, you know, they, they want to get paid. They they want their cut of this some way, one way or another. Well, there are a lot of layers to it. And, and you know, even... You know, and I understand that the people of um, Standing Rock as a whole, you know, they have been, you know, set foot upon over the past. But, you know, and I've been here since 99, and, you know, it's not, there There have many problems, you know. and But now, after this happens, we're going to have a lot of problems, you know, and we've always What do you mean problems? problems? Just the animosity between, you know, the native and non-native people. Oh, yeah, you think you know, this is going to create a rift there? I hadn't thought about that, really. It's going to be a long-lasting rift, I'm afraid. You know, if if they oust, which I think is going to happen, um, oust Archambault on the next um, election down there on the tribe, and I'm more than likely that's what's going to happen. But a lot of the elders don't want anything to do with him, and that's why our governor has been trying to set up a meeting with the tribal elders, the whole tribal council, because up, up until now it's just been with Arsenault and maybe a couple other tribal members, but he wants the whole tribal council together to meet with so he can get everybody on, on record. Gotcha. Alan, up in North Dakota, very interesting stuff, man. Thank you for calling in. Shields high. appreciate it. Uh, team, I think we'll probably talk about some markets and how the new administration might affect those markets. So, you know, what this might do to your 401k and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've got more coming. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Tim, we're joined now by Steve Cortez. He's a Republican strategist, a former Trump spokesman, and currently a Wall Street strategist. He is at Cortez Steve on Twitter. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Buck, thanks for having me. All right, so uh, market doing pretty well today. Post-election market doing very well. Why is Trump good for the stock market? Right, doing well today and been doing well. Been on a tear since the election. It was interesting, Buck, so I was uh, lucky enough to be with the president-elect, then-candidate Trump, on election night. And being a market guy, you know, I had one eye sort of on election returns and one on the market. And that night, you know, futures trade overnight. So you can trade the S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ, uh, you know, basically 24 hours a day. When it would start, first started to look like he was winning, uh, futures initially got creamed the stock market. That was the knee-jerk initial reaction. Well, by the time we woke up in the morning, it had come all the way back to unchanged and has done nothing but rally since. And I think there's two things going on here. One is uh, policy uh, prescription going forward. I think that we're going to have a regulatory and tax structure, which will finally allow the United States economy to truly grow. We're coming out of the first presidency in history that never had a 3% or better GDP year. Uh, that's a tragedy. Slow growth has a lot of ramifications for the economy, for our society, all of them negative. Um, and so I think that there's a, a, a promise that we're going to have the right policies going forward. But secondly, and I think this is just as importantly, Buck, 
is uh, the psychology of it, animal spirits. You know, the, the economy is largely a game of confidence. It's a game of optimism and belief. And I think for the first time, you know, partly because of these policies, but also just because of the spirit of Donald Trump and the team that he's assembling and the optimism that I think is pervasive right now, it's somewhat contagious out there in the country, uh, there's a belief that we can do better, we can grow faster, um, that this pie can get much, much bigger. Let's stop haggling over a shrinking or a barely growing pie. Instead, let's grow the pie so it's massive. And so even, you know, I live in Chicago, Buck, so I know plenty of people who don't like Donald Trump, who didn't vote for him. Even those folks, and I know this is just anecdotal, but even talking to them, uh, particularly the ones who own businesses, I can't tell you the confidence that they suddenly have. They're talking about hiring people, about investing, optimistic for the future. So people listening uh, on the on the tax side of things, which I think is one of the ones that gets everyone's attention uh, most quickly because, you know, theoretically, at least we all pay taxes, um, assuming we all pay taxes, everyone listening. What will be different under Trump administration for just the average filer? Right. No, and that's a great question because I think you know, we've mostly, at least I think in the media, talked about what's going to happen in corporate taxes. Right. I do think it's incredibly important that no matter who you are, uh, you're going to benefit from companies bringing billions and potentially even trillions of dollars home and investing that here. That's not going to go into you know a bunch of suitcases in the United States. It's going to go into plants and jobs and technology. Uh, but to get to your question about regular folks and how you know will they benefit uh you know in a, in a couple of significant ways one is i'm really glad that he addressed this uh, is he addressed child care which i think is something that we haven't maybe paid enough attention to so many families in america particularly you know working class families people who aren't wealthy they have two uh people working uh and yet they're still unable to get ahead even with two incomes um, and for those uh, people who are doing that who have children child care is eating up just an incredible share of uh of their earnings. And this is a particular issue for women. I mean, it is for men as well, but particularly for women. And so uh, I was very happy when Ivanka Trump uh, Trump gave that speech in uh, Philadelphia, or in Pennsylvania rather, but uh, during the campaign and talked about, we need tax credits. We need to recognize how important families are to America and how important childcare is to working people and particularly working mothers. So I mean, I think that's one way that they're going to see an immediate bottom line benefit on their taxes. And then the second thing is tax simplification. So even if your rate's not going down, and almost all Americans are going to see their rate go down, but even if it doesn't go down, your taxes are going to get so much simpler. And Buck, speaking of financial markets, one of the few companies that isn't doing well, by the way, uh, lately is H&R Block. And I don't mean to pick on them because they're probably a great company. I don't know much about them, frankly, but it's interesting. The reason it's not doing well is Wall Street is concerned that a much simpler tax code is going to mean it's going to be bad news for tax accountants, great news for everyone else in the economy, but bad news for them. So in this case, I think that small piece of bad news, what might be bad news for H&R Block, is wonderful news for Main Street. Now, Steve, what do you say to those who point to Trump's involvement in this uh, negotiation? I know Pence, too, but this negotiation with Carrier to keep, what is it, 1,100 jobs here? What do you say to those who say, well, look, this is sort of cronyism and picking winners and losers? I mean, that, that criticism is certainly out there uh, on the right from conservatives who try to be uh, consistent in their application of principle to economics? Do you, do you think this is sure. just well, – you know, it, it is what? It's something that we just got to do in order to get jobs to stay here, or how do you view it? No, and Buck, listen, I'm very sensitive to that uh, criticism. I am, and I tend to be 
a bit personally, a bit more libertarian than my candidate was. And you know, now the president-elect is. So I wouldn't agree with him on everything in terms of industrial policy. And in general, I think top-down industrial policy is a bad idea. I think government should just create the conditions uh, for private for the private sector to thrive. And by the way, that is primarily what Donald Trump has talked about. So, you know, there's sort of carrot and stick. And on the on the carrot side, if we create the right tax and regulatory structure, meaning lower, simpler taxes and far less, a far lower regulatory burden. And the president-elect has already promised that for to add any new regulation, you've got to get rid of two old ones, which I think is a wonderful, it's sort of like a, the line at the bar, if it's too crowded, you know, one in, but two out, right? That's what we need in regulation. If we create that environment, then I don't think we have to worry as much about sort of the stick end of it, of a punishing companies that want to leave because they're going to want to invest here in the United States. But to get directly to your question about Carrier, I, you know, I would say a couple things. Uh, I don't want this to be the prototype. I don't think we can do this every time. We can't have the President of the United States negotiating over a thousand jobs. Now, those thousand jobs matter a ton to those thousand families, and I'm thrilled that they're heading into Christmas without a layoff. That's a that's a wonderful thing. But in the scheme of our economy, a thousand jobs isn't important. But I would say this: it's important symbolically and for a couple of reasons. One is he promised he would do it on the campaign trail. Mentioned this company specifically, so it's a promise fulfilled and fulfilled incredibly quickly before he even takes office. So I do think that's important. And then secondly, I think it's the symbolism again, kind of like I talked about the psychology before of the overall economy, the symbolism here of showing that uh, companies can be profitable, highly profitable by producing in the United States. And again, I don't want I don't think we can have the president or vice president negotiating on a case by case basis. That's just not the right formula for us. Uh, But it's symbolically important to show, look, carrier can do it. They're going to be profitable. They're going to be profitable in Indiana, in the heartland of this country with American workers. If we create the right environment, we're going to have hundreds and thousands of carriers out there. So to me, that's the more important template going forward. Now, for small businesses, is that where regulation in particular is supposed to be the, the relief that a Trump administration will bring? And what is we always hear, especially from from conservatives and from think tanks in D.C. that espouse conservative principles, that small businesses are the you know they're the engine of the economy, and that's where most job growth is going to come. And and we, both sides of the aisle, of course, pay a lot of lip service to small business. What's the Trump administration right. going to do to help small businesses? Yeah, no, and great question, question, Buck. Look. The first time since we've kept these records, more small businesses, more businesses, period, but most of them are small, more businesses closing in America than opening. And and that's a tragedy. Again, just another consequence of our slow growth and what that does to our country and our uh, in terms of people dropping out of the workforce permanently because they don't have that engine of job creation. It's just there's so many bad ramifications that we need to solve it. So to your question, how how do we solve it? And and by the way, one of the things I don't like about industrial policy is that, uh, you know, Carrier, who's owned by United Technologies, those giant companies are generally pretty good at getting government to at least a little bit bend to their will in terms of a tax concession, um, you know, an, an easement on on uh, zoning, that sort of thing. Small businesses don't have that power, by generally, right? Almost by definition. So they, the the playing field sometimes is not level. One way to level it, and you you touched upon it, is regulation. And I'm not sure a lot of people realize how much. Small businesses now are affected by regulation. A lot of it's state level, a lot of it's federal. But, you know, whether you're talking about 
a, a woman who hair braids on the side, or you're talking about a small manufacturing plant, uh, you know, who has a puddle in their parking lot, and the EPA shows up and calls it a wetland. And th- that might sound nuts, but this stuff is going on all the time. Or OSHA shows up, uh, and you know, one ladder was out of place. Uh, and suddenly you face a ton of fines and a ton of oversight. I mean, this is happening every day if you talk to small business people in America. So if we can have – we look, and, and we're the first to say we need regulation. Workers have to be protected. Water and air have to be clean. Um, but there has to be checks and balances upon upon regulation. And if we do that sensibly at the federal level, at the state level, I think, you know, the American people, entrepreneurs, we haven't lost our dynamism and we haven't lost our creativity and our hustle. It's been bad policy that's forced more businesses to close and open. We start reversing that, and I believe we're going too quickly. Uh, I think we're going to see that problem of, of almost 100 million working age Americans out of the workforce. We're going to see that number start ticking down dramatically. Do you have any concerns about the market just being uh, particularly high right now? I mean, you know, this is sort of the very uh, obvious analysis, and I'm not a markets guy, but, you know, what goes up must come down. People are saying it's hitting all-time highs. It's hitting all-time highs. Well, can that sort of – is that sustainable? Is that just because uh, the interest rates have been so suppressed for so long that the only place to make any money was the stock market, so you've got a bubble going on? I mean, how, how do you see some of those dynamics playing out early on in the Trump administration? Right. And yeah, you know, Buck, as optimistic as I am on the economy, and I really believe this, I think we can break out. I think we can grow three, four, five percent again. I think we can have, uh, as I mentioned, millions of workers re-enter the workforce. So I, I'm incredibly optimistic on what we can do once we take off the shackles of, of taxation and excessive regulation. Uh, but having said that, I don't want to go too crazy either and, and tell people that, you know, here at all-time highs on the Dow Jones, it's a wonderful spot to be pining a lot of money. You should pour, you know, particularly <laughs> yeah. the regular investors, that you should be putting all your chips in right here. Generally, you know, there's a phrase uh, that uh, I think I first heard it from Warren Buffett, but some legendary investor uh, said, when they're crying, I'm buying. So generally, the time to buy is when things actually look bad, at least temporarily. Right now, things look fantastic. Now, I'm not saying necessarily to sell either, but I'm just saying, yeah, I, I think to your point – uh, uh, these will be hard levels to maintain perhaps for the near term. Now, long term, if you truly are a long term investor, I think, in my opinion, we're going dramatically higher because the economy is going to grow. Uh, but you mentioned interest rates. My biggest concern about the stock market, you know, more near term, say now to roughly next summer, my biggest concern is that if interest rates continue to rise, and that's a good thing for our economy, by the way, right now, the interest rates have been stuck in the mud for the last eight years because so has our growth. There's a lot of optimism in the bond market that growth is going to pick up because of that interest rates are really rising fast. Um, but that can become a break itself on the economy. And my guess is between now and, you know, again, looking nearer term, sort of the next couple of quarters, two, three quarters out, I think we'll have a couple scares that will be interest rate related. Uh, and my guess is those are going to give regular investors. That's going to be when they're crying, I'm buying. Those will be those opportunities uh, to get in. Steve Cortez is a Republican strategist, a former Trump spokesman, and a Wall Street strategist. Steve, any chance you might be uh, hanging out, joining a Trump administration, or can I not put you on the spot like that? <laughs> well, you can put me on the spot, but I won't give you. I'll, I'll give you the you know sort of standard answer, but but not completely standard. You know, Buck, I volunteered for the campaign, and it became practically a full time job. Uh, 
Uh, and my wife will be the first to attest to that. The second we got uh, through this election, she's like, all right, will you get back to making money, please? Because uh, we've got a lot of bills to pay. So uh, I was never in it. I was in it as a volunteer because I just so believe in the movement. Uh, I was never in it for a job in Washington. Uh, that said, I've certainly had interesting conversations. I have a ton of friends and colleagues over at Trump Tower. I'm not officially involved in transition, but you know, I'm certainly talking to them. If my country can use my services, I will certainly listen. And there have been some interesting conversations. But in general, I think I'm much more effective doing what I'm doing right now with you, being a, a private citizen, but also speaking out in favor as a friend of the administration rather than part of it uh, within the media. Steve Cortez, great to have you, sir. Really appreciate you joining. Thanks, Buck. Appreciate it. Uh, team, if you want to send me a message, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is a good place to go. Also, now's a good time for me to tell you, please do download the podcast because we see those podcast numbers and they keep going up, which makes the bosses happy. If you like the Buck Sexton show, download that podcast, share it with a friend or two. It is free and it allows you to spread freedom. Literally spread that freedom with the podcast. We'll go to a break. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Never fear, the Green Party is here, sort of. Jill Stein of the Green Party, which is really like the environmentalist communists of America, uh, they are escalating their campaign for a recount, or she's continuing it at least. Uh, this is the main story on Fox News that I'm kind of surprised it gets such high, uh, high placement. Uh, but she was at a press conference outside Trump Tower. She vows not to give in. I mean, this is kind of a pathetic publicity stunt, but I guess it's working. She's raising millions of dollars. This is really the way to make money in, in America today, is just to attach yourself to a cause and and raise a lot of money for it and find a way to sort of keep the money or, or pay yourself a big salary and not actually do anything. Uh, but you just got to be willing to completely sell out any principles or any sense of... You know, honesty and decency, but yeah, recount. Why Why not? Let's just force a recount because in the states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, uh, she's got the federal court intervening on this thing. I mean, what a waste of everybody's time. Uh, but she's going for it. She's going to push for this thing. And uh, Trump tweeted out Sunday that this is just a Stein scam to raise money. Uh, yes. I think I think it is just a, a Stein scam to raise money, um, but I, I do also think there's something particularly fitting about uh, g- given how much heat Donald Trump got before anything had even happened, before anyone would even started counting votes about whether he would accept the results of the election. It is in fact the far left that doesn't believe in the electoral college anymore. Wants to talk about vote fraud. Wants to talk about fake news. Wants to talk about Russian intervention in the election. Wants to talk about recounts. Uh, they're the ones that, when they thought Hillary was going to win, oh, all they had was reverence for the republic. And now that Hillary's lost, it's just, oh, oh, how many different ways can we come up with uh, to say that somehow Trump cheated? That's really what all this boils down to. Oh, he cheated. Ugh, such a bunch of whiners. Such a bunch of annoying tofu-eating whiners. 
I hate tofu also, by the way, not just sun-dried tomatoes. Yeah, that's right. Team, I'll be with you tomorrow as always. Please download today's podcast when you get a chance. Uh, Send me your thoughts on Facebook. And until tomorrow, Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.